Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Catalyst Conversation. We are pleased to be joined by Dr. Grace Lest Hopley, Hopley, sorry, um, who is working with Heroic Hearts. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Heroic Hearts? Yeah, sure. So Heroic Hearts is uh, um, it's actually a, a couple of charities now, but originally was um, a charity started in America by um, an ex-army ranger who had come back from several tours in the Middle East and suffered with what is unfortunately quite a common um, ailment in, in those veterans, which was symptoms of PTSD, uh, hypervigilance, and, and really struggling to move back into his old life and, and just sort of live how he once did and, and tried a number of different medications, which didn't work for him and somehow ended up in a ayahuasca retreat in Peru. Um, and it was during that retreat, he found some sort of healing for himself and came back and thought, this is amazing. I have to make this available for other veterans. And so founded Heroic Hearts. Um, the initial point of Heroic Hearts was to facilitate to other veterans being able to go out to places um, like Peru who have these ayahuasca retreats. And, and so wasn't so much providing the retreats, but just making it possible for people to make that journey. Cause I know it's, uh, it's quite a daunting journey to make if you're doing it alone and, and you don't really know what you're doing, particularly in, in a bunch of people like veterans who quite traditionally have stayed away from any sort of um, illegal activity and drug use. So that's how Heroic Hearts was founded. We've since moved on um, a little bit since then. We are still facilitating a lot of those ayahuasca retreats, but we're now sort of moving forward, looking at running some of our own retreats, moving more into a, a research aspect, which is what my job is within the, the charity as the research director, and expanding out of the US. So, you know, you might be able to tell I'm a, a Brit and we now have a Heroic Hearts UK, which started up at the end of 2019. And there are plans to potentially open up in, in Canada as well and expand that Heroic Hearts family. So that's sort of us in a nutshell, basically championing psychedelic um, drug use in a, in a medicinal setting for veterans who suffered as a result of their service. And are there any of the psychedelics that are available legally? So ketamine is available legally um, and has been used in the States and in, in the UK for treatment of PTSD, but it's pretty much mostly done by a, a, a private prescription and, and, and not that widely done. And it's used for PTSD is not as well studied as perhaps it's used for depression. But as far as that, no, no other psychedelics are really uh, legal. There are some clinical trials that are going on now using things like MDMA um, and they're just starting to open up using things like psilocybin which is the psychedelic compound found in magic mushrooms and obviously what, what we're really hoping is that, that that's, that's going to change and we will start to see legal options coming available to using these drugs within the, the United States and, and within the UK. The way that we are able to do the work we do is that we we do it all abroad so uh in in countries where the use is legal 
And how typically, typically how long is a retreat? How long do they go away? So normally something like an ayahuasca retreat would be maybe three or four days where they go down um, out into the, um, into the Amazon down in Peru. But for something like our psilocybin retreats that we're, we're doing sort of in-house, that's going to be up to seven days long. So um, yeah, quite a, a substantial amount of time. But when you look at something like um, what is considered the gold standard in PTSD treatment at the moment, which is a, a, a sort of cognitive behavioral therapy course, that's a, almost a three months long residential. So we're sort of able to week, which is, you know, obviously much more manageable for people within their lives. And, and this retreat, this, does this solve the problem or this sort of introduces them to a potential solution? Hmm, that's a very good question. Solve the problem. I, I mean, I guess, are, are we ever kind of done as far as um, mental health is concerned? Hmm. It's certainly, from what we see and the testimonials that come out of the um, people that join us on these retreats is it certainly marks a substantial change um, and is often described as you know one of the most important moments in those people's lives where they really turned a corner and perhaps the healing is not all done in that that weekend or, or however long it is but what happens within that time appears to open something up in the brain, awaken um, perhaps parts of the brain that have sadly become dorm dormant as a result of um, PTSD, for instance. And having done that, they are then away, able to go away and, and work on that and, and sort of develop within themselves from it. So um, yeah, it's certainly not a, you know, you go on this retreat, come back, you're, you're completely healed or anything mm. like that but it, it seems to open this doorway that allows people to make that choice to start that journey of healing. Are you familiar with the, the Netflix uh, program, Nine Perfect Strangers? I, I'm not, no, please enlighten me. <laughs> you, should, you should check it out. It's, um, it stars Nicole Kidman and then a, a cast of others. Um, and she suffers a trauma and she brings this group together um, and, gives them psychedelics as a form of treatment. And um, it, it's, a, it's a short series, I wanna say it's eight episodes, but you know, it sort of goes back and forth. Like, you know, she doesn't actually inform them what they're getting. So they're, you know, so there's like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, um, some of them have good reactions, some of them have bad reactions, but at the end, and I won't give too much away, I don't want to, um, I, I think that there's definitely, you know, they all, as you mentioned, sort of open this door or, you know, enter a new phase of where they're in their lives as a result of this experience. Um, so you, you, I think, should check this out because I think you'll, you'll find it interesting. Um, you know, I'm sure you'll find lots of things wrong with it, but I think you might find it interesting. Yeah. So how long is this program? So this program has been going on for three years. Is that correct? Two years? So Heroic Hearts itself has been going for three or four years now. Okay um within within the US and they've they've helped sort of dozens of people going through um the program. Unfortunately we also have hundreds of people on a waiting list um who want to get involved in, in the treatment and everything that we do. 
Uh, and then in the UK, just, just for the last uh, year and a little bit. But as you can imagine, um, no, so more than a year and a bit, so. But as you can imagine, we, we've unfortunately had a, a major pause in all of our proceedings. As, as I've explained, the majority of the work we do is based around the idea of people engaging in psychedelic therapy, which involves and, and one of one of the ways that we do that in Heroic Hearts is, is as a group therapy. So we like to get groups of veterans together to take part in this. So, so COVID has really put a nail in that. Plus the idea that in order for us to do that in a legal framework, we take veterans out to, to countries where we are able to. So unfortunately, the last 18 months has seen us be pretty unable to, to do our work. But luckily from summer this year, we were able to start taking people out again um, from the US to uh, various various retreats in South America, which is brilliant. And fingers crossed, 2022 will we'll see us fully reopen and get on with our um, slightly more uh, focused projects, such as our psilocybin project, uh, which will be in the Netherlands and Jamaica. And how does uh, psychedelics, as opposed to other forms of treatment or medications, impact PTSD? Yeah, so if we sort of look at what PTSD is, um, and particularly what it is within a, a veterans community, it sort of has a lot of this um, hypersensitivity where people just can't really switch off, they become particularly vigilant um, and they get sort of triggered by what would otherwise be sort of salient or you know, non-important non um, things in their lives. And when we look at the treatments available for that, because of the sort of complex nature of it, what often happens is you get people put on antidepressants and, and anti-anxiety drugs. And unfortunately, particularly in the PTSD community, the response to that is often not very good. The amount of sort of getting better that is done by taking drugs like that is, is pretty negligible actually. And it becomes a case where people just get medicated to what is a, a manageable state that they can just exist in. So they're not permanently um, feeling the, the, the negative effects of, of PTSD. So when we look at what psychedelics can do that's different to that, the biology of PTSD is somewhat similar to that of um, depression and anxiety, but you sort of get impaired brain connectivity um, and within that sort of alterations in, in memory and, and how memory is formed. And it alters the way that the brain is conditioned to experience fear. So you get a sort of enhancement of those traumatic memories, and then they are triggers to that fear response. And this comes about in a way where the brain almost becomes slightly less malleable in the way that the connections are formed. And you get this sort of rigid formation of circuitry within the brain. And so in order to treat that, in order to alter the brain that's slightly stuck on this loop of thinking, 
if you give somebody something like a psychedelic, and I don't know if any of your listeners have, have ever looked up, and I, I hugely encourage them to, the work that was done at Imperial College uh, London a number of years ago, where they actually managed to put people on um, LSD and psilocybin inside uh, an fMRI machine and look at the brain during um, a psychedelic trip. And what it does is it- So they, they must've taken the LSD to figure out to try that first of all. <laughs> well, they are a very forward-thinking group at Imperial College, yes. and I would never like to suggest anything about them. No, like I, I didn't suggest. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> um, so, what what then happens is, is you get this psychedelic experience. You know, it works on serotonin receptors, increases brain activity, but you start to get parts of the brain talking to each other that you would not normally see talking to each other. Uh, in normal circumstances. So when we apply that to the idea of PTSD, you've got this brain system that's slightly stuck on this loop. You've got parts of the, the brain, you know, the sort of reptilian brain that deal with fear, et cetera, et cetera, completely disconnected from the rational parts of the brain. And it's just, you know, kicking off um, at times that are, that are not appropriate for your survival, which is obviously that you know, the reason that those parts of the brain exist. And so you give something like a psychedelic and it seems to reconnect those parts of the brain. It's almost like those very um, rigid control structures of the brain that, that sit in the limbic system within um, the more sort of reptilian parts of the brain, instead of them dictating to the rest of the brain what what it wants and how it wants to think you get the rest of the brain the, the really thinking parts of the brain kind of sending stuff back the other way and that then creates a system so the way that the, the brain works is neurons send signals back and forth and then whenever that happens you get an increase in that connection so by doing that under a, a psychedelic environment after that's happened, you've then got a brain that's slightly primed to have all these new pathways of thinking. And it breaks down the rigidness of this looped system that PTSD represents and allows for other thought to come in. And that's very much on a sort of brain functioning level. There are other parts of psychedelics which are incredibly interesting that deal with things like uh, how the brain expresses certain genes and how it deals with, um, you know, which, which neurons to keep, et cetera, et cetera. And there seems to be evidence that actually these substances, after their use, increase the amount that the brain expresses certain genes that, it, that increase the amount it can, you know, grow and make new connections and be more plastic. So you've got a two-way, sort of two-way improvement in psychedelics, going into the brain and saying, right, let's flood the system, get it all running, get it all working. And then after that, you're in a position where you've, you've got this sort of ability to lay down new connections, new ways of thinking and break out of those really quite um, nasty, repetitive looping systems that, that underlie depression, anxiety, PTSD. And so does that become a window where you need to do exercises for behavioral change so that they don't revert? It certainly offers a great opportunity um, to do those sorts of things. 
it's often recommended that people don't go and change their entire lives within three weeks of having a psychedelic experience because they can be very powerful and often confusing. But we definitely, and, and one of the things that we do at Heroic Hearts, we, we don't just send people out to retreats and then kind of say, Wish them thank, well. yeah. thank, you, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Leave us a good um, trip advisor review. Um, no, so you have to go through a process of, of what's called integration. And that is incredibly important. So that is looking at perhaps things that happened within your trip uh, or perhaps things that you realized about yourself, about the trauma that you've been through and integrating those into your life and, and what that means about you. And that often kind of looks a lot like something like cognitive behavioral therapy. And when you look at what people do in cognitive behavioral therapy, the whole idea is basically to go and create new ways of thinking, new ways of thinking about things new ways that you decide you're going to react to stuff. And so there's absolutely that much increased potential to do that in the days and weeks and, and months after a psychedelic experience. And what is the opposition to this and, and who's opposed to this? Well, good question. Um, <laughs> who is opposed to this? So I, I guess, unfortunately, the political norm. Um, and particularly conservative political norms. I, I, I don't think I'm going to sh shock anyone by, you know, revealing that- Not you know, the, war, by any means. <laughs> <laughs> the war on drugs, it was all a, a kind of major sham to, to demonize certain communities. Um, and unfortunately it's just become a soundbite for which politicians can rather lazily hang their hat when they have been caught doing something wrong or can't think of something to say, just pull out the old tough on drugs and, and everyone will say, oh yeah, what, what a good bloke that guy is or, or whatever. So there's huge um, opposition still there in the political classes because they see it as very difficult for them to not only convince certain parts of their voters that actually we have evidence now that suggests that these drugs are actually incredibly useful if used in a safe and appropriate way, but also to admit that they've been wrong and say, oh, sorry, everything that we've been saying for the last however many years, it didn't really have anything to do with risk. It didn't really have anything to do with keeping you safe or anything. It was all about us and about keeping us safe in our jobs. So that's where the real um, opposition to this lies. But furthermore, and very rightly so, there is some opposition that like with any drug and like with any substance, you have to, and anything to do with medical care, you have to treat it with the utmost respect. And so I think rightly so, we are moving towards increased use of psychedelics and, and psychedelics for the use of treatment of psychiatric disorders with some caution. Because of the legality around it, scientific research has been limited and to this, this moment in time is, is still reasonably limited. It's really taking off at the moment, you know, both, uh, I think we've very much seen that in cannabis research and we're really seeing it now with psychedelic research. And within the next sort of 
five to 10 years, we will have a vast body of knowledge about these substances. And that needs to be listened to. And that needs to be followed. There's one thing we've all learned in the last couple of years is that maybe scientists might be dull at parties, but they're actually people that need to be listened to when it comes to public health. Um, I'm saying that as a scientist. Uh, so, but, but, um, I won't say it, but you could say it. <laughs> yeah. So that that is that is another part of it. The, the idea that we are um, developing drugs and developing drugs that are very different, very different from what we've previously known. We're really talking about, we're going to take you, we're going to give you this experience, we're going to sort of get into your psyche and, and change the way you think. And I think that gives people a bit of a, bit of a um a bit of shock value sometimes and i think that that's that's rightly so and it should be be active with caution that's why at heroic hearts um you know and what i do particularly in heroic hearts we really take note of okay what evidence do we have now what is known as the best practice the best safe practice and what can we learn every single time we take people out there we see that as a learning opportunity. We see that as an opportunity to collect data, to go, you know, go forward and, and produce research to then inform the next group and inform, you know, the next charity or the next clinical body or whoever else, you know, takes up psychedelic um, therapies so that we can, we can come up with best practice. And, and I think that also speaks to sort of the laziness of the traditional medical community, because it's much easier for them to just say there's no evidence-based research to support this, so we don't have to think about it, right? And they will rely on, you know, what they've been using all along, which, you know, as demonstrated, is not necessarily effective. Yes, yeah, completely. Um, I think I think that's very, very true. And uh, the medical community... I think it, it is quite lazy to say that there's there's no evidence behind this. If you look into wh where you know we're not very good at looking as as a as a Western medical society. If you look into what has been done in um, indigenous populations with the use of psychedelics for millennia, it's very well documented that um, this stuff has effect, and we are starting to see those initial studies where. You know, MAPS did that fantastic um, MDMA trial for PTSD that came out last year, showing really positive results. Um, again, Imperial, always singing their praises, had some amazing results um, against sort of depression, uh, classic antidepressant drugs with, with psilocybin. And there are only small pockets of, of evidence that have been done in a clinical setting, but they're there. And once you look behind that clinical setting at the wealth of knowledge that exists within the indigenous community, and within just sort of observational studies that have been done over the years, it's quite difficult to now say, oh, there's nothing there. Um, and, you know, we should completely disregard it. Um, I think, you know, the, the same, you, you see the same with, with cannabis use, really. Um, we're now getting pretty good evidence around particularly CBD and its use for um, anti-anxiety like uh, treatments and when we compare them to the drugs that we've got, can we really say, oh, well, these are far too dangerous, how, how dare we? I am, um, just to slightly divulge, I read something just the other week that truly shocked me. Within the veteran community, one thing you see, and it's one thing I 
I always notice a lot when people come to us um, to be part of, of one of our retreats, the number of medications that these soldiers get put on because they have such complex traumas and from that psychiatric um, sort of problems to solve as far as the doctor is concerned, they often end up sort of on three or four different medications. And from that, once you start taking, um, you know, two, three, four medications, you start taking medications to overcome the side effects of previous medications, this sort of poly result. Absolutely. And there's now studies that are coming out that are suggesting that the number, the number of suicides that we see in the veteran population is, is truly horrific. One of the worst statistics I think out there is that both the UK and the US have lost far more men to suicide than we ever lost in um, Iraq and, and Afghanistan in the last um, 20 years. And I think that's, that's a really shameful um, indictment on the way that we've treated our veteran community, but also a lot of the suicides that have been reported as such, it's now believed could be accidental overdose mm. from the drugs that they are taking because they are often taking so many. Um, and, and I think the other problem, and I think the other problem is if those drugs are not necessarily effective, um, many people will then begin to self-medicate with other forms of relief, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, yeah. they may start to drink, they might start to look at other illegal drugs um, just to sort of get out of the pain that they're in. Absolutely. Um, we, you see a, a lot of, unfortunately, alcohol abuse within um, both the serving and ex-military community which do not mix well with high levels of, of, of other medications. But when you, you look at that and you, and you have doctors coming forward saying the we don't have enough evidence about psychedelic use, it could be really dangerous. Well, look what we've got already. Okay. We've got a so community like that- dangerous, right? Exactly. Yeah. And actually, is it any more dangerous than the risk of suicide or accidental overdose that exists within the veteran community right now? For me, as a, you know, slightly data-driven human being, it has to be all about surely the probability of risk. And when you look at uh, the, the risk of harm from psychedelics, from what we know, very, uh, very, very little evidence to suggest that there is any kind of um, real potential of overdose using the majority of traditional psychedelics anyway. Within cannabis, we know that's, I I can't think of a single case anyone has ever overdosed on cannabis. Yeah, I don't think anyone has. You just get really high, but you know, come down eventually. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Despite what you think at the moment, but you, you will be fine. Um, have you, do you feel that the, you know, slowly growing acceptance of cannabis and the medicinal applications is then opening doors to other, you know, alternative treatments such as psychedelics? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a help and a hindrance in some way, because obviously what has happened within the cannabis world in the last 10 years has set the precedent for the idea that we can now start to rethink how we think about what were previously illicit substances. States in America have certainly set out the guidelines for how we can move these substances into 
use medicinally and, and recreationally as, as has been done. But then it's also slightly made people nervous because the cannabis boom, I think in particular states went forward without some of the regulation probably required. Yeah, and there's now a lot of situations of black market cannabis um, for sale in, in the US and people making what are quite, um, I believe, unfounded fames, uh, uh, claims about, about cannabis's potential in, in some, some circumstances. Yeah, I mean, we saw that particularly with CBD, where you know, mm-hmm. CBD was touted as the cure-all for yeah. almost everything. Um, 100%, yeah. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, it was, you know, you know, we believe that there's lots of benefits to the plant, but it, you know, it hinders our progress when people make outrageous claims without any mm-hmm. evidence to suggest that. Um, and then on top of that, to take advantage of the green rush, everybody was throwing CBD out there for anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're without standardization, without pop, you know, labeling, we actually didn't know what you were getting. So even if the CBD were potentially, you know, applicable to whatever claim they were making, we didn't even know if CBD was in the product mm-hmm. because the labeling was not clear. Um, so, you know, clearly those efforts to cash in harmed the overall credibility of the cannabis industry. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that hopefully we will have learned from as we move forward with with um, probably not yeah probably not with with psychedelics in, in the idea that we need to be really clear about um standards of products standards of treatments and protocols around therapy etc cetera, etc cetera. um yeah I, I i really found it quite amusing uh during the whole cbd thing i was actually working much more in a cannabis science world at the time. And people would come to me and say, oh, I've taken this CBD and it does. And I say, that's interesting because we, we know it potentially works on at least three receptors. There's another four we're not even sure about. So how do we even know what it does if we're not even sure exactly which receptors, we're not even sure which binding sites it might be joining. And I just found it incredible how sure the likes of your high street um, you know, wellness shop was telling you like, oh yeah, this is going to sort out XYZ, give it to your dog, give it to your mum, give it to your plants. And you were like, oh, okay. (laughs) But but as a, you know, a healthcare professional, you also know that there is a placebo effect. Absolutely. So, you know, if we, you know, we don't know what we were giving them, we're not sure it was CBD, but there could have just been a placebo effect that they believed it was going to benefit them. So it did. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Um, the placebo effect is not something to be sneered at. If, if we just sort of, you know, whiz back to the idea of, okay, well, how do psychedelics help you? Mm-hmm. Psychedelics allow you to go into um, a state where you're almost able um, to access your own story and your own narrative and what you think and know about yourself and how you've written that story. Placebo kind of does the same thing, but without you knowing it. You've taken something that you then alter your own personal narrative to say, well, I've taken this, therefore I'll get better. Mm. And so psychedelics almost give you the ability to access that placebo effect in some way, but, but with your eyes wide open. 
you get to go into your own narrative and say, I'm going to choose to actually not be affected by this anymore. Whereas a placebo kind of tricks you into not being affected by it anymore because the power of the mind is such that it, it can it have huge effects on what we kind of slightly wrongly have misunderstood as purely physical illness. Um, and, and so, you know, with CBD and, or, or any cannabis products that were going around uh, and people probably getting placebo effect, well, you know what, if, if it makes you better, great. Like, as long as it's not financially ruining you or you're turning down other medicines that would be much better at helping you, then I, I see no problem in that. And, and do you think when you look at the PTSD community, are, are we doing a better job at addressing this and working with um, veterans? Yes, we are. Um, the, the, it, although, you know, you sort of come out here and say, oh, this is really bad and we should be helping more and all the rest of it. The general, the general story is, is an uptick. We are a hell of a lot more aware of PTSD, of what it is as a society. There's certainly a great improvement within the armed forces and within the armed forces community around destigmatizing, saying, actually, I'm not all right. I am having problems with this. I'm not sleeping. I, you know, I can't walk into a room without checking all the exits. And, you know, people actually talking about it, which is something that unfortunately was very much not the done thing. And that was, you know, hangover from the world wars mm -hmm. uh, where people just didn't want to come out and talk about what had happened. And that doesn't seem to be the case anymore with, um, with veterans today. It used to take around sort of 10 years for somebody to come forward and say, actually, I'm having a problem. We've seen that drop to about two or three years. Um, you know, there might be something in that that says, well, may maybe it took longer for those, those traumas to become fully aware to those people. But we're definitely doing better. As far as research is concerned for PTSD, it's improving massively. There have been some huge grants given out in the last couple of years. I I'm afraid I, I can't run off the states off the top of my head that have given a lot of money towards cannabis um, for the treatment of PTSD. I think when we look at that, that poly, um, poly pharmacy idea that I was talking about earlier, that there's a really great application for, for cannabis in, in perhaps getting people off all the pain meds and anti-anxiety medications and all the rest of it. So is that where, you know, if you're looking at all different treatments, is that where cannabis is, you know, a preferred approach where you're trying to wean them off of opiates or something like that? For me, that's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. So just, just, on my own theory, I, I think cannabis definitely holds a place for getting people off those huge amounts of medication so that they can start to look at what they want to do next. I don't particularly agree with the idea that people should be on a never ending cannabis prescription. At the end of the day, it, it is a, an addiction. Chishin Chong person. would disagree, but okay. Who's sorry? <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah. laughs> Chin Chong. Uh, that's an old reference, so maybe Snoop okay. Dogg would disagree. How's that? Does right, that okay. resonate? <laughs> so, um, but but no, but for, for me, cannabis is a really good place to start for getting people through the day to day, 
and then psychedelics is a is a way for them to then step through the door as it were into a new life and cannabis it helps management whereas um mm -hmm. the psychedelics open the door for change yeah okay. yeah and really have that profound effect where people as i say change this narrative about themselves allow their brains the sort of opportunity to um rethink and then they can sort of move forward um, and perhaps the reasons they were taking the cannabis will no longer be necessary and they won't need it anymore right surely what we want is for people to not have to take there's a difference between medicine. have and want yeah okay i'll go with that unless it's for for recreational right. reasons right. with your friends on the weekend right. or like we said have versus do. want where you know where we have nothing yeah. We're not opposed to want, but yeah, having to take it because there's an underlying yeah. problem. You know, we want to address the underlying problem, obviously. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us, how do we support your work? How do we support heroic arts? Um, what can we do to help? So, yeah. So heroic arts is um, a charity, as I've probably mentioned quite a few times now. We always need more support. As I alluded to, we've got hundreds of veterans who are on our waiting list, who want to come through our programs, be that ayahuasca, psilocybin programs, um, other research projects that we're, we're thinking up. We exist both in the UK and the US. It's quite a lovely partnership because we played such an important role in supporting each other out in the theater of war. And so I think it's important that we, we play this role in supporting each other now that we're facing the problems that we do now we're back. You can visit our website. If you just Google Heroic Hearts, we'll Jesse Gold. Uh, yeah. You will have a link below. Below. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Jesse Gold, he's spoken um, at quite a number of, of things. There's lots of podcasts available if you want to hear straight from the horse's mouth what he went through what he found when he went out there and, and did ayahuasca in Peru and just get the word out there. So, you know, ov obviously we are always looking for um, sponsorship so that we can help more people. But what we're also looking for is to start a conversation and to start that conversation, not only with the people that are already here, are already bought in, you know, that, that these substances can be incredible medicines but to start these conversations with with other people and I think the veterans community are an ideal community to do that to come forward and say we need changes to legislation we need to relook at how we classify these substances so that we can having come back and fought for this country so that we can all live the safe and libertarian life that we all want to they can then start living their lives again having gone through um for, for what a lot of them is is an unbearable amount uh, of suffering post-war and are you also partnering with other organizations to change the laws we uh are hoping so in in the uk we are partnering up with a number of different organizations there's uh different lobbying groups within the uk parliament in the US, I know that Jesse speaks on a number of platforms uh, and it's definitely our aim to take this argument in a very safe, 
safe, in a very sensible and uh, pragmatic manner to the legislators. We're not trying to say, let's all pretend it's 1966 and, you know, put on our flared jeans and, and, and take my... Right, it's not Woodstock. You're, you're looking to help people that need... Yes. Yeah. What yeah. we're saying is, how about we have a situation similar to what has happened in Canada. There is actual actually been a very, very small amount of legal use of psilocybin within Canada. Um, it was a compassionate use case for anxiety and end of life care. So people are able to go through a, a psilocybin protocol, which is a therapy to help with anxiety. We want a similar thing for veterans. It's amazing that we're able to help the veterans we are, but it's very expensive that we have to fly them out to Peru, to Jamaica, to the Netherlands, wherever we can conduct this stuff. And then it makes it a lot more difficult for us to do the research around it. But if we could do that within the US, if we could get permission to be able to hold retreats on US soil, so these veterans don't have to pack their bags and get on a flight for have many hours to go to somewhere unfamiliar that would be amazing and ideally that's where we want to head and then from there the research will be a lot easier be a lot higher quality then we can come up with more evidence as to exactly the potential of these medications exactly how they can be used exactly what the protocol should look like is it better in a group is it better if we have two therapists or three therapists or you know, one week, two days, all of that kind of stuff can then be fully explored in a really safe and meaningful manner. And then at the end of the day, we all end up with protocols for therapy that will not only benefit the veterans community, but all the people who have PTSD as a result of childhood abuse, or, you know, people who have treatment resistant depression, who've been on antidepressants for the last 10 years. By moving forward with these protocols, we benefit everybody. Well, we very much appreciate your time today. We look forward to a time when those uh, protocols are available to anyone who needs them. Um, so we hope you keep doing the good work that you're doing. And um, we look forward to really great things with heroic cards. We will put a link below so that people can see what's going on and, and find ways to support that. We appreciate your time and thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk about the work we're doing. Absolutely. Thank you.